0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Self-Care Unit, a trigger warning for this week's episode as we will be talking about suicide. Our guest today is Harley Monroe, co-founder of the Jared Monroe Foundation. This amazing organization is dedicated to fostering awareness, understanding, and support for bipolar disorder and suicide. This foundation seeks to motivate, inspire, and help others live a productive life where no one is alone. Harley, it's so good to see you, and for anyone who doesn't know, Harley is also a dedicated volunteer for both Don't Clock Out and Operation Happy Nurse, and is a recent graduate nurse from Columbia University who secured a job at John Hopkins in Baltimore and is just doing the dang thing, and is just absolutely amazing. I had to shout her out and just <laughs> bow down because... I'm, I'm 26 and I can barely get out of bed and go get groceries <laughs> and Harley's out here like changing the world. So thank you, Harley, for being here. We're so excited to have you.
1: Well, thank you for having me. And um, wow, what a, what a hype up, um, but I really can't compete with you. I mean, you're doing so much also. So, you know, I'm just happy to be here and happy to be part of your guys' work.
0: We're just, we're girl bossing. On the sun, y'all. That's what's going on. We're all
1: on the sun. Way too hard.
0: <laughs> hi, Barbie. Yeah. So we hi Barbie. <laughs> I oh my goodness. I just saw Barbie, y'all. I saw it yesterday. The hype is real. The hype Talk is about
1: real. Good for your mental health. Watch Barbie. So good
0: for your mental health. Um, if you ever like have your identity latch onto things and hello, healthcare and nursing, especially. Barbie is the movie to watch because it will ensure that you rip that identity and understand that you are Barbie, you are Kenuff, you are yeah.
1: <laughs> You are a girl you, boss.
0: You are a girl boss, girl bossing on the sun. Like Barbie is Barbie is good. Barbie is great. Barbie is life. Um anyway, how's everyone doing? Harley, how are you doing? Carly, how are you doing? I'm doing What's good. going on?
1: Guys, I'm so excited to be here with you.
0: The work so you guys excited. are doing on
1: self-care, like, amazing. And I'm just, like, I'm so honored to be part of this. And, yeah. like, thank you for thinking of me.
2: It's nice, too, to have fellow nurses. We need the nurses because it's you understand, especially because you're new to the nursing world. It's, it's,
0: like, perfect timing.
1: I'm a baby nurse. Yeah. We love our baby yeah. nurses. Yeah.
0: For context, when I first met Harley, it was at the Operation Lemonade Gala last year. And I could see her light shining from across – the way. And that light was so familiar. It was like that glow of like starting fresh in the healthcare space and like really wanted to care for people and patients. And I was just like, oh my gosh, we have to protect her because she cares so much. And sometimes this field will take so much from you and take away that light. And so far we have been, I feel like we've been protecting
1: Harley as best we can.
0: (laughs) Harley, because get behind have.
1: me. <laughs> no, you, really have. you saw me 15 months ago at the very beginning of my nursing journey. And I was so red eyed, bushy tailed. And now you're seeing me 15 months later. I just graduated last week. Um, and, you know, the lights only like a little less dim, just a little.
2: Yeah. Find the balance. But Real it'll get that. And also, just, we love that. you know, restoring your passion. I think that's really important. And we we love these foundations because it's it's. Important that we try to. Well, I guess what she said is correct. Like protect the light because a a lot of times I had trouble with restoring my passion, and
0: we went through the pandemic and whatnot. But we won't go through that. But yeah, so we are, (laughs) woohoo, nursing to to whatever degree you're comfortable with, Harley. Could you give us a little bit more of more of a, a background into the story around your
1: organization and why it exists? Yeah, of course. So we founded the Jared Monroe Foundation back in 2017. Um, for my family, our first kind of interaction with mental illness, mental health, was when my older brother, Jared, was diagnosed with bipolar disorder um, in the summer of 2016. Um, that whole year, he went through treatments, um, medication trials, psychiatric trials, hospitalizations, um, anything you can think of that goes along with it. He went through it. We went through it. Um, it was a long year. It was a difficult year. Our family, we did it alone. We didn't tell anybody about it. Um, and it was such a lonely journey. Um, in 2017, March of 2017, um, Jared ended up taking his wife. Um, he had had so many manic episodes and ups and downs throughout that year. Um, and unfortunately he didn't make it. Um, But after his death, our family had received just like an outpouring of love and support from the community. And with that, like love and support came so many messages about, hey, my friend has bipolar disorder. My cousin has bipolar disorder. I have bipolar disorder. And people I grew up with, people I cheered with as a child, people on my brother's old football teams growing up, my parents, friends from high school, people we had no idea suffered from mental illness, mental health whatever it was, they were doing it in silence also. Um, And that was like an impactful moment for my mom and I. Um, And we kind of thought we can, we can do something with this. Um, This doesn't happen. Doesn't have to happen to anybody else. What happened to our family? No one else has to be lost. I think The biggest struggle Jared dealt with was being alone, not having enough support, not having resources, not having enough family or friends that understood what he was going through. And and I think that was what defeated him in his battle. So for my mom and I, it was really important to build the Jared Monroe Foundation so that we could empower people with mental illness to rise above their diagnosis and to know that they matter. That little paper their psychiatrist handed them with that diagnosis, it doesn't matter. That's not you. That's just... That's just a piece of paper. You can do so much more than that. And so, and that is how the Jerry Monroe Foundation was kind of formed. I get
0: emotional every time you tell your story, Harley, because it was fueled out of so much passion and love for your brother. And like this is a family um, started organization with your heart, you know, the heart of the community in response to losing your brother. And I think it's beautiful that instead of you know, allowing that to be the end of that story, your family decided, no, I want to ensure that this doesn't become the story for someone else or someone else's family, and instead help support people through what they go through, and especially young people um, who are faced with the same struggles that he was faced with, but given a different path a different opportunity and that's really really special and impactful and i'm so proud of you
1: <laughs> thank you yeah it was just i don't know it's it's so hard hearing when people in your community are struggling also it's like how how is this happening to so many people yet so little is being talked about it i just i'll never understand and i'm glad we're in a place we are now in the world because more people are talking about it we have podcasts like yours where people are bringing awareness to this stuff but it's it's sad that people like us even have to exist, that we even that we even need to be here to fix the problem. Um, but you know, I am grateful that out of something so tragic, we're able to do something about it because it needed to be done for the past twenty years, maybe even more. Um, so, you know, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to do what I get to do.
2: I was gonna say, I think bipolar disorder too is one of those that even within the hospital, I see which I hate to say, but there's nurses even, that you have a patient that has bipolar and they hear about that in their medical history and they're automatically like, oh, great, here we go, like a crazy person. I'm like, no, <laughs> you don't. You haven't even met the person yet. And then we were talking before, Sarah and I, on another podcast about the importance of starting these, these medications back up because a lot of the times, unfortunately, those fall through the cracks. And people that have these disorders, anxiety, depression, bipolar, whatever it may be, need those medications if they're on them and they work for them. And I just, I, there's a lot of stigma still in the nursing world. So this is beautiful that it's full circle because I think this is really important to talk about.
0: Yeah. I think it, it really aligns, like our missions align so much, Harley, I think, because when the nursing community found out about Michael Odell, um, in the beginning of last year, it was like a culmination of, and I'm emotional right now, but like a culmination of, the pandemic layers and layers and layers of systemic abuse to losing a nurse like during their shift and the entire country, like nurses across the country coming together to try to find this nurse, try to make sure that they were okay to finding out that they had ended their life. And that is why we started Don't Clock Out was because we could not sit by and allow this system to take someone else and how this organization came to be was literally myself, Joshua Paredes saying, how is no one talking about this? How is no one talking about a nurse leaving their shift and not coming back? Why isn't this front page news? And why is no one doing anything about this? Because we know it's not just one person, right? and it can be said for absolutely anyone you know regardless of whether or not you work in healthcare just being a human being right comes with a lot of this comes with triggers for mental illness but what we can do to change this is provide support provide community and come together and change that that path and I think that's what the Jared Monroe Foundation does. I think that's what Operation Happiness does, through providing resources that otherwise wouldn't be there, specifically tailored to the people that need these resources. And the same with Don't Clock Out. And so it's really special. But I, I really agree with you, Harley, and how it is a little heartbreaking as well to like have this weight almost of wanting to address this issue, caring so deeply about it having that um, that you know emotional connection to it and personal connection to it. But what's really powerful is knowing that you're not alone, Harley. And Carly and myself, we're not alone in this work because there are so many people who see what we see and know the power of what it is that we do and the impact that it will have for generations to come so that things don't look like they did uh, a decade ago, right? Ten years from now, things are going to be better because of the work that we're doing right now, because of what we're saying right now, because of the conversations we're having. And I, I didn't mean for this episode to be so emotional, but it is because it's really, it really is at the core of this work. And I think it's important we open these conversations up and um, look back on what it, why it is that we started these organizations to begin with.
1: I know I also get so emotional when I think about it because it's like we're literally here because we keep losing people. Um, and that is just, it's so heartbreaking. Like one after another, you keep hearing about them. And, you know, I love the work Don't Clock Out is doing, but it's devastating hearing Michael's story. It's, it's devastating hearing my brother's story. And there's so many more like them and so many foundations that are started because of this. And the resources are there. We're creating them for the world. All our organizations out there are creating them. And yet we still we keep hearing the news that, keeps like breaking our hearts over and over again. And it's so important to talk about. Um, But, you know, it's okay to get emotional over this. We should be. The moment we become numb to this, I think that's when the problem is. That's when we've really not, we've not done the work. When we no longer cry over suicide. We're just letting it be. It's part of society. That's, that's not what we want. And that's what our organizations are here for. I was going to say preach
2: it. And I, brought the story up before in a podcast, but I had a patient that actually ended their own life for, and he actually had bipolar disorder and anxiety and depression and all these things. And I felt like he wasn't being taken seriously. And unfortunately, you know, there's, it could be a numerous like number of things that occurred or didn't occur to, and obviously there's things out of our control, but it just, it still sits with me, but it's just very, it's sad that out of someone's death, now all these precautions are in place. It's like, well, why did it take that long? We should have had these under, you know, these are people and humans. And it's just really sad to me that that's something that, you know, like you said, something beautiful came out of a tragedy, but it's, it's heartbreaking that this happened in the first place.
0: Thank you, Carly, for, for your insight and for sharing that story, because I think it's a really important and cautionary tale um, when we allow stigma to dictate practice and how that causes harm to patients um, by proxy and we fail people, you know, and maybe for some, you know what I mean? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's a big deal to miss something like that. And then there's an actual impact and you can see the impact because a lot of the times when it comes to like errors or omission or not following policies, like you often don't see the effects of that. You don't, but sometimes you do. And we could do so much better if we ensured that there wasn't stigma and bias in our practice. And we made a made a concerted effort to protect our patients through ensuring that everyone receives the best layer of protection when they're under our care. Um, and that's part of our work, too. Like I feel like a baby, like a mom now, because every time I have a patient
2: on the bright side of this is every time they come in. I'm like, if anything changes, please let me know are you okay? Are things okay? And they're like, you're like obsessed now. I'm like, yes, because and it, it might come off strong, but I take this very seriously. And I always let them know I'm here for you. Please, please. If like, you would need to talk to anybody, let me know. It doesn't have to be me, but just, I have resources for you. You're in good hands. Please let me know. So that's, you know, that's the benefit or the positive out of the set.
0: Yeah. You create that change, Carly. And through like, Being okay with having this conversation too and like just calling out the practice that you saw that led to harm and using this platform to elevate that so that hopefully someone listening who might be faced with the same task of screening someone actually takes the time to do so regardless of their own stigma or bias and also teaches those and trains people to do the same. So. Harley, back to your foundation, we've made a lot of progress as
2: we've spoken about with mental health and supporting people with their struggles. And there's a lot more work to do. There's a lot of girl bossing going on. What are some challenges you see in your organization's work?
1: I think the biggest thing that we see an issue with is the lack of knowledge. There are so many people that don't know where to look. Um, and if they do know where to look, they don't know how to utilize what they find. Um Oftentimes our foundation doesn't hear about a story or it doesn't hear from the community until someone has taken their life or someone has um, been in a manic episode for weeks um, and they don't know what to do. Um, I think a lot of the crisis intervention is not happening because people just don't know how to do it and they don't know how to recognize it. The number one thing we hear when someone reaches out to our foundation is, I didn't recognize the signs. They seemed fine to me. There was, there was nothing there that would... Uh, you know, maybe inclined me to that, they might take their own life or they were struggling. Um, and oftentimes you talk to someone who maybe is trained and they were like, there were lots of signs. There were so many signs. But to an average person who doesn't know anything about mental health or the resources, they have no idea. And the guilt sits with them for so long that they couldn't recognize them. And the people that can recognize them, some of them don't know what to do with it. Um, And I think that's the biggest barrier we see is education can only go so far if people don't know how to use the education we're giving them. Um, So it's really important. I think there's organizations out there that are building educational programs into our schools, for example. I think teaching people really recognize what's happening in your community, recognize what's going on with your friends, ask the right questions, um, and then implement actions. I know as nurses, we learn you ask your patient straight up, do you have a plan to hurt yourself? do you want to hurt yourself? Have you bought supplies to hurt yourself? When are you going to do it? We ask them. Straight up, we ask them. And I think there's this assumption in society that if you ask the questions, you've planted the seed in their mind that now they're going to hurt themselves or now they're going to have a problem with their mental health because you asked about it. And that's not true. Um, And I think a lot of education is really needed. And that's the biggest thing we see within our foundation when families do reach out to us is they they just don't know.
0: I feel like it's like in our culture as well, we sometimes brush things off as like this uncle or this aunt or this cousin or your grandmother or your grandfather, they just behave this way because of this. Um, or they went through this dark patch or they went through this, but they not actually putting language to what was actually happening to that individual. What happened to uh, have them cope in that way, or like what triggered that event for that person, instead of like brushing things off or trying to omit the truth around mental health and mental illness, we start to make it seem as though no one could go through something like this. When it's so far from the truth, absolutely anyone can be triggered into a crisis absolutely anyone can be triggered, especially if you have history in your family. And you might not even know you have history in your family because that because your family is trying to protect you from this information, right? It's trying to protect you from the truth around your family history. And instead that causes more harm than good because what if you become triggered and Experience a mental health crisis and don't understand why you're having these feelings and feel like there's something wrong with you when in reality you're having an emotional response to something that is distressing to you. And this is what your body has decided to do. And if you don't have language for it, if you don't have support for it, if you don't have the knowledge you need or the resources, what do you turn to? Like if you don't have a path to move forward, then you can like spiral into a more of a mental health crisis. So I think it's really important what you're um, referring to Harley in terms of getting people education and knowledge and resources instead of like hiding mental illness when we know that it truly does impact everyone in some way, shape or form.
1: Sarah, I'm really glad you bring that point up because I remember those are the exact questions that I was hearing after my brother was, mental illness can happen to anybody. Nobody knows that. There is this weird idea of mental illness in society where people believe mental illness only happens to a certain population, a certain kind of group, uh, certain kind of habits. They have no idea that it does not discriminate. It can affect you can affect your friends, affect your children, your parents, anybody. My brother, he was like the biggest example in our hometown. We live in a tiny hometown in, in California where everyone knows everybody. And my brother's death was the world's biggest shock to the whole community. He was known by everybody, loved by everybody, played football, was so outgoing. Out of all my siblings, by far, he was the one everyone knew because everyone loved him. Like there is not one person you'll meet that has something bad to say about him. So when people found out he was struggling behind the scenes with bipolar disorder, they were they were so confused. They were lost. I, I would go as far to say they were lost. Because people were scared that this this could happen to them. This can happen to anybody. And so sad to have that fear in society of mental illness, but then not knowing what to do with that fear. What do they do? Where do they go for resources? How do they get screened? How do they learn if they're predisposed to something? And that just kind of opened like this black box of what do what do we do? This is this is terrifying, and I remember that feeling so well. Yeah,
0: and one really incredible thing that we saw about your organization is that you offer scholarships, and the reasoning behind that is really special. I would love if you could maybe share um, more about why that was your decision and how to support people?
1: Yeah. So um, we were all in college when we lost my brother. Um, my oldest brother, Tanner, then Jared and I were all at Arizona State together. Um, so we were a very big college family. My parents, they traveled to all the football games and everything. We were so into college. Um, and it was such a shock that in his sophomore year, he was affected by mental illness and then took his life that we decided our population that we would be reaching out to and try to help as college students. Um, It was really close to our heart because that was our story. And we remember navigating the college system of getting mental health support, which impossible. Some schools have none, absolutely none. And I remember thinking, I think that made it even worse was the stress of college, plus losing friends over mental illness, plus being in school, like the whole thing was such a trigger for him and being away from home. He just felt totally defeated and alone. And so my mom, she's actually the one who came up with the idea to do the college scholarships. She really wanted to find a way to let students who have bipolar disorder know you're not alone. That that diagnosis of bipolar is not the end for you. You're going to do so much in your life. I don't want you to feel like you're held back. So we decided that we would give out college scholarships to make them know that they're seen, they're valued. They can do whatever they want. Here, this scholarship proves to you that people believe in you and that bipolar disorder is not going to define you. Everything you've gone through till now doesn't define you. If anything, it's made you stronger, more motivated, more dedicated. And we are proud of you and we believe in you. And so that's that's how our scholarship fund was created. And every year it's so magical because my mom and I, we get to read the stories, the letters that are written to us. In our applications and hearing what, like, I get emotional talking about it because some of the stories are so difficult to read. There's so much trauma, so much hurt, and feeling so alone in almost every letter. And there's so much they've gone through. And despite all that they wrote in their letter, that they've gone through in their life, which are things that you can't imagine normal people go through on a da- daily basis, um, they're still in college. They still have dreams. They still have ambitions. They're still doing the dang thing despite everything. So, you know, it was really important for us to highlight that how resilient you can be while going through some of the toughest times of your life. And I think with suicide prevention, the one thing that's so important is looking forward to the future. Like, you have to have goals, dreams, ambitions, and you have to have a support system telling you, we believe in you. You are not your diagnosis.
2: I love that. This is a really bad day to be contagious
1: crier. Mic <laughs> drop. Oh my gosh. I'm
2: like, oh my God.
1: <laughs> I've cried so much today. I can't even get over it. Like Sarah and me, like every time oh, we talk about this story, I I'm just so like waterfalls. I, I
2: love that you guys, like we always said it a billion times, but I love that you turned something tragic into something so wonderful and you're out there helping people. And the nurse in me, I love that you are going to be a nurse because we need people like you out there because I have – I just remember in my cohort, I had wonderful friends, but a lot of them during our mental health clinical were terrified of people and like, just sit down with them. Act like you're talking to a friend. They have stories like they're, they're just people, just people with, as Sarah said, like messed up past sometimes and reasons why they, they have the illnesses that they do. And I just, I hate that we like dehumanize people. And I think this is just like a wonderful way to get it out. And
1: I'm, I'm just happy you're a nurse because we need you. I'm happy to be a nurse. I'm so excited. I know, like, I do all this work with my nonprofit and college students, and then I became a nurse. And, oh, boy, nursing school is traumatic, so very traumatic. And I know all my fellow nursing school people, they know exactly what I mean, Um, going through clinicals, through nurses that don't want to teach you, and they hate that you're on their floors. It's all traumatizing, though, the whole thing. And I remember going, well, my mental health is slightly tanking a little bit here and so I'm excited to now work with like Don't Clock Out and Operation Happiness because mental health, as I said, does not discriminate everywhere. And I'm excited to now have my my foundation and then also work with the mental health of nurses. I think it's so important because how can I take care of anyone if I'm not well taken care of? It's it's impossible.
0: I'm oh, so proud of you. <laughs> um. So there is something really exciting happening that Harley and I have been working on for the last few weeks. Um, It started with, should we do something to, oh, okay, we're going to plan something small to, uh, we're going to do an entire event to somehow we've gotten the venue, the speakers, the workshop leader, all in like a week. And so we're doing a dang, we're doing the dang thing. So don't clock out is officially a 501 C3 organization as of Woo-hoo. like a month or so. Claps. Yay. <laughs> and we decided to collaborate with the Jared Monroe Foundation to have our first um, co fundraiser, so co-hosted fundraiser. And it's going to be on September 10th on Su- World Suicide Prevention Awareness Day. It will be called The Art of Healing, and the reason behind that is because we wanted to find a way to get communities together, not only healthcare workers, but anyone impacted by suicide, to have us all come together in a space to heal and support one another. And we were able to find this amazing nurse in Northern California who actually worked on a unit adjacent to the unit Michael O'Dell worked on and who has been following our journey and supporting us from afar for the last year and a half. And her name's Nicole Cromwell. She is an abstract artist in Carmel-by-the-Sea, the the most beautiful place that you see in Big Little Lies. (laughs) And um, she created a self-care workshop specifically for nurses to teach them how to paint for self-care. And so we thought this is like the most aligned thing ever. Nicole, will you come and facilitate a beginner's like paint and sip for our fundraiser? And she said, yes. So she is coming. We also have Amy Lauren who is the nurse who discovered the um, nurse who was a serial killer in the movie and book, uh, The Good Nurse. And she's going to be there to speak as well as lead a meditation before um, our, our workshop, which is incredibly exciting. We have other speakers who have stories similar to Harley's, similar to Michael's, and we'll be sharing a little bit more about our organizations and what we're doing to support. So um, Harley, what are your hopes or goals for our event? My goal is that we just get a lot of amazing healthcare workers, community members, just all kinds of people together to really have open and honest conversations around suicide and mental health and create sort of a movement and make this a reoccurring Thing. I think it's going to be really beautiful. So, what are your goals and hopes for our event that's coming
1: up? <laughs> First up, I'm so excited for this event. Like, we literally decided at like a drop of a hair we're gonna have an event, and it just it ran from there. And we are so excited for this event for you guys. My hopes for the event, though, I think is really to build community and to build that self reflection. I know Sarah and I have talked to Nicole about her plans for the workshop itself and her ideas of self-reflection. And I won't spoil any of it here because I think it's so powerful and so sweet the way she wants um, to represent this workshop and make it interactive so that people can just, they can reflect on their lives and reflect on their futures. And I think it's so sweet and so powerful. And I'm just really hoping people come and they feel the community around them and they feel supported and that they realize they're not alone. This is an event strictly for people to know they are not alone, as evidenced by the many people around them at this workshop, all sitting there and reflecting on their lives and reflecting on how amazing their futures are going to be. I'm so excited.
0: And if you are in the Los Angeles area and you're interested in a night of self-reflection and mental health advocacy and an amazing auction with items donated by our gracious sponsors... Please um, check out the link that'll be attached to this episode, or go to um, the Don't Clock Out social media pages, and you'll be able to find more information about the event as well as the Jared Monroe Foundation social media pages. Yay! we're so excited. Oh, I'm
2: excited! I'm like, I just learned about this like two days ago. <laughs> I'm excited, Harley. Thank you so much for being with us, honestly, and good luck to everything that you do with nursing. I'm, I'm just, oh, I'm just really excited for you and. I just know that having nurses like you out there will hopefully start the change that we need. So everybody, thank you for following this very emotional, but wonderful episode. Please make sure to check out and follow the Jared Monroe foundation on Instagram, as well as don't clock out to further get involved. And thank you so much
0: again. If you or someone, you know, is in crisis, Please dial 988 to get in contact with the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline that is available 24 hours in both English and in Espanol.